0: We're living in the American era, but this moment of American triumph is very fragile. Of course we can say thievery was a critical element
1: to the expansion of American empire and the establishment of the American way of life, of course.
0: The settlers came in, drove out, exterminated the native population. That's one of the two original sins of society. The other being slavery? The other is slavery. Why do you want to blow up Mount Rushmore?
1: Uh, and I think we should, if, if, if it's okay with you, I'm feeling like doing this one a little bit loose. And uh, I've got a glass of wine here. Uh, this is, I think, the third Dinesh D'Souza movie we've done. That's right. And I think the the only way that I can get through this with my sanity intact is uh, to have it be kind of, a, you know, less structured than we sometimes do. And to drink you know, possibly copious amounts of wine while re record. Sound good to you?
2: Yeah, it sounds good. So so you don't want me to say, Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan here as always with
1: Uh, Luke Savage, I mean it seems to me you just you just said it. Uh, that's what it that's so what mean. it would have That's what it would have sounded like if we'd have done the traditional Michael and us intro, but because we're looser, we skipped it this time. You know, Luke,
2: a few nights ago, you contacted me and said, hey, I have a really busy day on Friday. Can we do something kind of light? Can we do something kind of fun and goofy? And I said, oh, how about we do some like right wing kitsch again? And, you know, of course, I Google right wing conservative documentaries. And of course, who comes up, you know, your friend and mine, Mr. Dinesh D'Souza. And I thought, well, what, what have we not done of his? And the, uh, a little movie came up called America, Imagine the World Without Her. And I thought, well, this will be a good time. I've enjoyed every Dinesh D'Souza movie we've seen.
1: I mean, I just saw this movie like two hours ago, and it has already bled into Obama's America and Hillary's America because every They're Dinesh the same D'Souza movie—, movie He just makes the same movie over and over again. Just like Michael Moore, you know, he has these particular chops, but he has certainly many fewer of them and also many fewer concerns than, you know, Michael Moore. He He does the Michael Moore thing of interviewing people and assuming this very earnest kind of, you know, persona to sort of like, I don't know, uh extract what he what he needs to from them, the sound bites he needs to. He always starts every
2: documentary with like, "Hmm, people were saying that the United States was founded on slavery. Uh, as an immigrant who always believed in the American ideal, I wondered if there was any truth to this." The way that Michael Moore does, but like Michael Moore makes it more of a joke.
1: Yeah, like meeting meeting Roger is a joke of a structuring device, and Michael Moore knows that. But Dinesh D'Souza. Like, his attempt to meet Roger is just his, like, uh, his feigned not very serious attempt to grapple with the legacy of genocide and slavery um, <laughs> in American history. That's uh, that's meeting Roger for Dinesh.
2: So this is one of the movies I've enjoyed least that we've watched. It may be the worst thing we've ever watched. It's been too long since
1: I've said that, but I, I really feel it. It's amazing how many things are the worst thing we've ever watched. But uh, I don't know what you're talking about, because this movie had it had everything that every cinephile, and I know every listener to our show likes. It had really bad historical reenactment footage that looks like B-roll from a canceled special from like, I don't know, public TV that's supposed to be educational. It had earnest kind of faux man on the street conversations with various public luminaries, and also extremely obscure academics. So alongside Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn, we also get people that are not famous enough to have a wikipedia article who dinesh bills as being like serious scholars on par with noam chomsky um uh what else does it have uh references to saul alinsky the hallmark of every great every great movie a level of intellectual rigor consistent with that of like a c plus presentation that a bunch of like zany grade nine students who only walk watch fox news would do it's got all those things so i don't know you say you didn't like it but uh You're right. that sounds like a, it sounds like a pretty good menu to me You're right
2: it's a good film and right at the center of it it has you know the last real movie star just a dynamic charismatic screen presence dinesh d'souza and we even see him at one point eating a hot dog um, so, you know, <laughs> what, what else do you want from a film?
0: I mean, there's a reason why uh, most of the world regards the United States as a predatory colonial power. The war with Germany has ended. The forces of freedom have triumphed. One of the Mr. Gorbachev, tell-
1: Okay, so I mean, I guess we should just do a little bit of legwork to try to explain
2: who is Dinesh D'Souza. Some people may (laughs) not know even at this point. Like, what is this man's backstory?
1: Oh, God. Uh, He was a conservative uh, wunderkind, considered one, I guess when he was like a campus conservative. And he's a guy that makes movies like this. Uh, that's how I know him. He's a guy who is, by the way, in the midst of possibly having a debate with friend of the show, Nathan Robinson. Right. Although... Dinesh, as I understand it, is a bit of a chicken and he keeps trying to have like his own figure moderate it. So he wants like, can't remember, it's not Stefan Molyneux, but you know, it's like someone like that. Like he wants like the most partisan moderator imaginable, which is very, very funny. Yeah, Dinesh is a guy whose uh, entire cinematic corpus can be summed up in the idea that the Democrats were the party of slavery. So liberals are actually bad, but also uh, America is not actually, bad nothing bad has ever happened really and if it did it happened everywhere else so it's okay would you say that's a fair summation of Dinesh D'Souza's intellectual project
2: yeah the book that made his name uh, which came out in the 90s, was called I Think the End of Racism. And his general thesis is America is not a racist country, but if it was, it's the Democrats who are racist. <laughs> in 2016, Obama's America, I mean, that's the movie that really turned him into a superstar on the right. It was a very successful theatrically released documentary. And you'll remember in that movie, he, like, gives his origin story. He shows himself at college. And the thesis of it was, hmm, I was very interested in this man, Obama, but uh, nobody seemed to know anything about him. You know, who really was this guy? And it turns out that his his investigation uncovered that Obama was a sort of puppet of Howard Zinn and Bill Ayers and Saul Alinsky. I can't remember if George Soros was in there, but he might as well have been.
1: Well, if this movie was made today, George Soros would definitely play a prominent role, I'm sure. But um, I forgot that's the other crucial part of Dinesh D'Souza's project, which is treating the most like milk toast, corporate friendly centrist liberals as if they're these like ultra radicals who are engaged in this project to remake America, which is an idea that's very popular on the right in general. And this is kind of the Fox News portrayal of of the Democrats, which is so funny, because imagine believing that like, Chuck Schumer is a social revolutionary. Like, that's what we're being asked to believe.
2: Dinesh would have you believe that somebody like Hillary Clinton was studying at Saul Alinsky's footsteps, but realized Saul Alinsky is too radical-seeming for most Americans. So what I have to do is I have to sneak his philosophy in, and then through incremental reform, you know, before too long, I will be able to do Saul Alinsky's dream better than Saul Alinsky could have.
1: A funny irony of this is that there are a lot of figures in the Democratic Party like centrist figures where one of their moves has been to pretend that they were some sort of sixties radical. Um, and they, they build that into their own personal mythology and it's obviously bullshit. So we talked about the D.A. Pennebaker, uh, joints, uh, the war room, which uh, the trailer of which talks about how Bill Clinton was the first president from the rock and roll generation, which of course <laughs> is a ludicrous framing and drawn from clinton's own very opportunistic portrayal of himself as this guy that came out of the 60s people who've seen i mean i don't know why you would but uh i know know we have a lot of uh listeners who are committed ironists just like you and me perhaps even more committed ironists so they perhaps hate watched the hillary hulu documentary but in various parts of that there's kind of footage of just like civil rights marches and anti-vietnam demonstrations which are sort of like there to make it seem as if hillary was kind of participating in them just by being alive at the same time and it's the same thing with you know the presumptive democratic nominee for president joe biden who you know had to suspend his 1988 presidential campaign because he said for among other reasons because he said i came out of the civil rights movement And he eventually walked that back to, well, I I was a lifeguard at a pool that had a predominantly African-American clientele and the civil rights thing was kind of happening at the time. But conservative figures from uh, Fox News anchors to uh, Dinesh always take this stuff hyper-literally. Like, they kind of understand that centrist Democrats are charlatans, but they don't understand it in the right way, and they actually buy the, the, these people's, like, extremely astroturfed, you know, radical origin stories, which is so funny to me.
2: We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but there's a moment in this movie that I really liked where he's talking about Obamacare, and he says that Obama pulled a trick on voters by forcing them to pay for healthcare that they didn't want to line the pockets of insurance companies that the insurance companies were in on this and i i was listening to this thinking hey that's an interesting point and then he says but what the insurance companies don't realize is this is just a step to them being abolished oh
1: man that is some <laughs> that is the most that's galaxy, galaxy brain. brain thing i've ever heard Oh, man, because yeah, right. That's Democratic Party like hack talking points circa like 2010 2011 where it's like, uh, oh, yeah, don't worry. This total cop out thing that we used our super ma- filibuster proof super majority, the only one we're going to have for 50 years to pass and was basically modeled on something that came out of a right-wing think tank in the 90s and mirrors what Mitt Romney did as governor of Massachusetts. Don't worry, it's going to get you to socialized medicine. And Dinesh is so dumb that he just buys that hook, line, and sinker.
2: Now, getting back to the beginning of the movie, just, you know, putting on my film critic hat here, I think one of the problems with this movie compared to his other films is it doesn't have (laughs) as compelling a detective story. 2016 Obama's America, he's trying to penetrate the mystery that is Barack Obama. In this one, he comes at it from the perspective of an immigrant, Uh, America has been kind to him, he's always believed in the American dream, but he's confused by all these things that he's hearing. There's the Trail of Tears, there's slavery, there's these Occupy Wall Street protesters who would tell you that the rich are stealing money from the poor, and and he wants to get to the bottom of some of these things, and oh, and there are all these, there are all these people around, all these incredibly influential people like Howard Zinn, who are being taught at all of our colleges, taught at all of our high schools you can't go five feet in this country without hearing the revisionist history of howard zen and to prove this he even shows a clip from the sopranos uh that clip we all know with uh, where tony soprano's son is reading the people's history of the united states which i think is like i think he misinterprets that clip don't you think
0: having a discussion about christopher columbus they would make fine servants with 50 men we could subgate them
1: subjugate
0: and make them do whatever we want. That doesn't sound like a slave trader to you?
1: George
2: Washington had slaves, the father of our country.
0: Well, what's your point?
2: His history teacher, Mr. Cushman, is teaching your son that if Columbus was alive today, he would go on trial for crimes against humanity like Milosevic and, you know, Europe. Your teacher said
0: that? It's not just my teacher, it's the truth. It's in my history book.
1: Incidentally, I was thinking about that clip earlier this week because Dave Rubin did something on Twitter that is even for Dave Rubin is dumb. Like, generally speaking, I think that Dinesh D'Souza is probably the dumbest person on the right, which is like, I mean, among sort of like right wing so called public intellectuals, and the competition is pretty Herculean. But Dave Rubin, you know, because there have been all these, you know, controversies around statues and taking them down, you know, and obviously uh, Christopher Columbus has rightly been in the crosshairs of the taking down statues efforts. Dave Rubin tweets a double screen cap of, on the one side, some story about, you know, Columbus statues being removed or agit people agitating for them to be removed, and then a, a screen cap from the Columbus Day episode of Sopranos, and he's like, Where's Tony and the gang when when you need them? I love the idea. Dave Rubin is one of those guys who watches the Sopranos and thinks that it's a show about like these cool dudes that we're supposed to look up to, <laughs> and he—I I, get—I t- I take it you've never seen this episode. No, no. But but I mean the point of this episode, Silvio Dante, played by Stephen Van Zandt, gets extremely agitated that they're like erasing Italian history because there are some Native American protesters, uh, you know, who are protesting Columbus, and I think want a Columbus statue taken down. And he gets really incensed about this. And a lot of people don't like this episode, but whatever you think about it, it does deal with one of the favorite themes of Sopranos, which is that people who are basically just, I mean, they're white Americans, that's how they're received, have retained this racial identity that they definitely don't have Anymore, as people that are just like well off people mostly in like suburban New Jersey, like they're doing fine. Nobody really calls them Italian Americans, or if they do, that has like a very different connotation politically than if somebody were to call someone like a Mexican American or a Hispanic American or something, or an Asian American or something like that. So there's this weird persecution complex that a lot of the characters on the show frequently display, and this episode is very much critical of that. And that's barely in the subtext. Tony Soprano himself at the end of the episode is exhausted with this and tells Silvio to knock it off and... Dave apparently not only detected zero subtext this episode, but even when the show ventriloquizes Tony Soprano himself, <laughs> he he, he, di- he didn't pick up on it, which is, uh, which is so funny to me. I got a lot of replies, people being like, oh, this isn't real, like, this is Photoshopped. I assure you, it is all too real. Go to Dave Rubin's timeline, it is still there.
2: <laughs> well, getting back to my preferred right-wing public intellectual, Dinesh D'Souza, this is one of those movies like uh, Saving Christmas, I think it was called, that attempts to go through, you know, four or five liberal talking points and debunk them one after another. There are a few things that Dinesh has to concede. He has to concede that slavery was bad. But aside from that, he wants to point out it's not a uniquely American problem. There's been slavery all over the world. And in fact, if you actually look at the history of America, you'll notice that uh, the economy was much greater in a lot of the northern states than in the southern states. And why is that? It's because the slaves were lazy and their masters were
1: lazy in turn. I made a note of that because that is the most galaxy brained, like right wing pudding brain take on slavery. It's like he has the same take on slavery and why it was bad as right wingers do on on welfare, where it's like, oh yeah, the problem with slavery was not that it was like a moral evil; it's that it made both the slaves and the masters lazy.
2: Slavery produces a people without the spirit of enterprise is an exact quote from Dinesh D'Souza.
1: Unbelievable, and and we should say, I mean, this film is like it's so easy to mock because it's utterly ridiculous from start to finish. But I mean, I do think. This film can be indicted for. I mean, this is a, a this is a sinister piece of propaganda. It is a film that engages in denialism about America's past. That is, I think, calling it dangerous would give Dinesh too much credit because the film is almost too dumb to be dangerous and also is it's not effective as propaganda in as much as the only people that would like this film would already be pudding brained enough to believe in it already but it's a pretty evil film nonetheless and i mean the take on slavery i mean i do think there's some arguments that could be made that america's Uh, the the particular way its economy developed was exceptional in its reliance on slavery and things like that. But even if you're pointing out that European societies also were built on the backs of slavery, so what? Slavery is bad. Much of Western modernity was built on the back of slavery. That's bad.
2: Well, according to Dinesh D'Souza, slavery is not unique to America, but you know it is unique abolition
1: (laughs) so this is the this is the other for each of these things dinesh produces an absolutely i mean forget galaxy brain this is like the next stage where it's like an eight-armed guy juggling eight different galaxies in his palms and like glowing from every orifice in this one it's like well yes america may have had this absolutely brutal immoral system of slavery but we also invented getting rid of that so actually we deserve credit
2: (laughs) Just as noxious, or perhaps even more so, is the film's treatment of indigenous issues. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this with this part. Um, first of all, Columbus never even landed in America; he landed in the West Indies. So, you know, checkmate on that point. Um, secondly, secondly, according to Dinesh, the United States aren't the only ones who conquered native land. Um, the tribes also conquered each other's lands, so checkmate. And third, yes, it's true that the island of Manhattan was bought for the equivalent of 700 current U.S. dollars, but it's not the land that's valuable. It's what's been built on the land.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, do you you think colonialism was bad? Well, yeah. Have you been, have you been to Greenwich Village? The property values are through the roof.
2: And, and folks, that's not, that's not the soil that's because of those property values. That's because of all the amazing condos that were built on that soil, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is actually Dinesh D'Souza's argument.
1: So I think that the project of this film, even though it's an especially dumb version of it, it is partaking in something that the right has been doing for several decades and which perhaps maybe the right has always done. There's something that Michael Brooks said when we had him as a guest. I can't remember if these were his, his words, if he was quoting something else, but it stuck with me. He said, the right mythologizes and the left historicizes. So, so this film is very much proof of that. Dinesh has what is, if you're receptive to it, a very potent narrative here, and one which, as I said, is you know has been channeled by uh, American conservatives for decades. Which is basically things were basically all fine up until a certain point, but then a group of radicals came along and just out of nefarious design decided to undo this brilliant, beautiful thing called America. So. Mm-hmm. The stock version of this uh, during the Reaganite zeitgeist, you know, if you asked a figure in the American conservative movement, when did things go wrong? They'd probably say something like, well, things were fine up until feminist radicals and racialists and uh, radical academics and activist judges pursued this radical social program, which undid the fabric of American life, which is why we have so much crime and social disorder. They built this big, heavy handed state that came to encompass everything and crush the the ethic of free enterprise, which had prevailed unencumbered up until that point. Now, Dinesh has to engage in a sort of updated version of this, which is very funny because we find him trying to sort of claim radical figures who he definitely would have opposed contemporaneously, like uh, Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. Like, he tries to say that Martin Luther King was actually... Uh, you know the civil rights movement that was that wasn't against America that was within America that was the best of America. So the move here is that, and this is what gives this kind of thing, this kind of mythologizing its superficial rhetorical power, is it allows guys like Dinesh to claim everything that's good and that we like is America, and everything that's bad uh, about America either didn't happen and was invented by liberals or was engineered by liberals. Or it happened everywhere else, so there's nothing exceptionally bad about it, so it's fine. We can all move on. That's rhetorical trick number one that Dinesh uses here. Rhetorical trick number two, which I think is also a very potent one, is that Dinesh wants everybody watching this movie to feel like they belong to this thing called America, and that anybody who criticizes any institution in American life or or moments in American history and indicts the wider institution of America in this is attacking you, the viewer. He says, you, the viewer, the American citizen, the freedom-loving son of Jefferson and Payne, that's who's under attack here. He says at one point, this is not just an attack on the 1%, it's an attack on All of us. And this is how, I guess, right-wing nationalism of the kind he's partaking in works. You can't accept that the founders were slave owners because then uh, somehow, like, you become complicit in that, uh, which is an extremely sly move that allows people to very quickly emotionally and intellectually erase large swaths of American history.
2: You may be wondering how these bogus narratives about America these uh, narratives that would suggest that it's a racist country have been propagated so far and so wide. The answer is Saul Alinsky, uh, who is depicted in this movie as uh, sort of being like a Chicago mob boss, uh, a, a, a man with great reach, huge networks of influence. At one point, Dinesh shows us like a chart of all the people in all the spheres of the United States that he's had influence on in politics, in the media, here there. Uh, I saw Alec Baldwin on on there you know the the web of influence runs deep right
1: firebrand alec baldwin
2: as well as hillary clinton who apparently once studied at his feet and barack obama who according to dinesh has not been up front about the influence that alinsky has had alinsky according to dinesh was inspired by literally the devil yes that's right Uh, in one of his books he apparently claimed inspiration from lucifer himself and his rhetorical strategies include polarization, demonization, and deception.
1: Yeah, so Alinsky here just happens to be the main antagonist. I mean, it's another trope of this right-wing myth-making. There's got to be an
2: instigating figure. According to D'Souza, Alinsky was able to strike during the hippie generation, where you just had this kind of free-form, not particularly focused, apolitical resentment going on. And you had these young, naive people who are ripe for the plucking. In fact, I think he even said that right for the plucking
1: it's always either some singular figure or some kind of diaphanous force so cultural marxism is the other one which cultural marxism has been it's responsible both for radical supreme court rulings and also for your grandkids making fun of your facebook posts Uh, It it goes, it goes deep people. It's pretty, it's pretty serious. But the rhetorical maneuver that D'Souza's is using here is very much alive in these completely indefensible efforts to defend preserving public memorialization for Robert E. Lee, and other figures associated with the Confederacy, or if people have been following in Britain, there's been a, a really you know significant national conversation. I think partly motivated by the protests in the United States to uh, remove statues of Cecil Rhodes, for example, a figure whose name I'm now forgetting in Bristol, who a a, a mob uh, very helpfully went and tore down and threw in the water. I think last week an act of protest that has prompted a massive national debate around uh, public memorialization. And the move in defending these things is always to imply that somehow there's this thing called British history or this thing called American history. And it's it's monolithic. And if any of it is called into question, it's an attack on all of us and on our values, etc, etc. And what is so absolutely insane about this is that it's always a particular history that's being memorialized and far from being some kind of I don't know, radical extremist project to not want to have statues of Robert E. Lee or Cecil Rhodes or whomever. I mean, it is in many ways uh, a demand to just have a different history, a better history be recognized. I mean, why not tear down every single statue of a pro-Confederacy governor, a Confederate general, a British slave owner, whatever, and replace it with an abolitionist. I mean, the moments in history that these figures were from were also the homes of radicals and people that were opposed to the dominant order. And in retrospect, we now know that it's those people that we should be memorializing and celebrating publicly. Why not just do it? It's not that difficult. And I mean, in so many cases, the figures who are at the center of these controversies, like Christopher Columbus, were understood to be violent and racist in their own times. One of the things Dinesh D'Souza does in this movie, and which conservatives more generally often do, is mythologize the past in such a way that, well, yes, bad things happened, but everything was bad at the time and no one knew better, so it's fine. Well, that's actually not true. Plenty of people knew better and they said so at the time. So why not make those people uh, and what they said central to our public memory rather than celebrating slave owners and colonialists? Seems pretty simple to me.
0: This argument at the core is a moral indictment of America And of the free market system. Reagan had called the Soviet Union, you remember, an evil empire. And and the Soviet Union is dissolved. So who's the new evil empire? Well, you're sitting in it.
2: The film concludes, as it must, with the Obama segment, noting that having internalized Saul Alinsky's method of polarization, demonization, and deception, um, (laughs) yet we we, we do see the you-didn't-build-it speech...
1: (laughs) God, these guys dined out on that for a full decade, didn't they? (laughs) Uh, Obama
2: is currently in the midst of a radical project to remake America in Alinsky's image. Uh, A real wolf in sheep's clothing and... At his disposal, he has this thing called the NSA, which is spying on us all the time, which is collecting information on us. As Alan Dershowitz, yes, Alan Dershowitz (laughs) points out in an interview, the NSA could theoretically charge any of us with, with a multitude of crimes that we commit every day. And selective enforcement of justice is what landed poor Dinesh D'Souza in the slammer for his. So,
1: so, and another, another inevitable hallmark of every Dinesh D'Souza movie is an incredibly, shall we say, stylized rendering of his own uh, criminal conviction and quote-unquote, imprisonment on the basis of what I believe was a campaign finance faux pas. And
2: basically, he went to a resort, right? Like, I I know that in Hillary's America, we saw him, like, you know, full-on escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, yeah.
1: He he always portrays himself as, like, I spent some time in the slammer as a political prisoner. It was more like, you know, Epstein uh, leaving for the weekend and just, like, you know, basically having a sort of like halfway house that he occasionally had to report into uh, more more of that, and less Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which is kind of the the implication here. As Michael Berkowitz, uh, writing for the Huffington Post, said when this movie came out. D'Souza's suggestion that his own criminal conviction and his cheating on his wife for the result of political targeting are embarrassing and without support. Um, and it amused me in looking up how this movie received that even the National Review had to kind of hedge on it. So a uh, quote from their review was, he clearly conveys his view that he was selectively prosecuted. But viewers should take the film on its own merits, he says, regardless of what they think of him. (laughs) Which is like, even the National Review couldn't, like, 100% get behind the idea that uh, Dinesh D'Souza was imprisoned in some kind of, like... Local penit- like you know local halfway house by Barack Obama's federal judiciary uh, after cheating on his wife even the National Review couldn't quite get behind that.
2: By the way, you want to know something else funny about this movie? When it came out, it wasn't nearly as successful at the box office as the uh, 2016 Obama's America film was. And one of the reasons that D'Souza credited for this was the fact that uh, Google was biased uh, because if 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 you if you Googled America. You didn't get showtimes for this movie, you know, and and so I'm I'm reading from a Time magazine article here Google search results for the film made it difficult to find theaters where the movie is showing apparently confusing the recently released film with D'Souza's earlier movie 2016 Obama's America, which was in theaters in 2012. On Monday, D'Souza's lawyer wrote Google demanding that the problem be fixed and asking if human error was involved in the (laughs) mix-up.
1: So uh, something else I learned uh, looking into the background on this one was that I believe it also came out in book form. And i think it was walmart or some other superstore that removed the books from the shelves and the reason they gave for this was like well nobody's buying them and uh dinesh uh, again decided that it was in fact political persecution that was the reason for this when this movie came out a guy by the name of alan hayes who was um a republican member of the florida state senate he demanded he tabled a bill in the florida senate uh, that this movie become a mandatory viewing for f- uh, Florida public school students. He and his colleague in the state house, Neil Comby, uh, tried to impose this movie through the state on um, the students of Florida, which is hilarious. I don't believe in horseshoe theory when the libs do it, but there is something to the idea that Everything the right claims that the left does, you know, like censoriousness, using the heavy hand of the state to crush individual freedom, trying to impose their politically correct views on everybody else. The right kind of does all of those things. This is a pretty good example.
2: Well, they're just trying to make up for lost ground. I mean, you and I remember having <laughs> to read Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States in, you know, grade nine, grade 10, grade 11, <laughs> grade 12.
1: That's right. Yeah, I remember in grade five when my music teacher introduced me to... uh the Frankfurt School, and instead of learning to play the tuba, I had to read all of Walter Benjamin's The Arcade's Project and his critique of violence before uh, we were allowed to learn the tuba and the ukulele. You
0: know, four years ago, um, I made the film 2016, Obama's America, (laughs) which which kind of upset the thin-skinned narcissist in the White House, and so for a relatively minor campaign finance infraction i was locked up overnight for eight months in a federal confinement center now i just wanna i just mentioned that because i want to tell you that if that film got me eight months in the slammer this new movie is gonna earn me life in prison
2: (sighs) anyway i was gonna say i'm glad we watched this movie um, And then I was gonna try to follow that up with something else to justify that statement. But I'm not glad we watched this movie. This was a total waste of time. Uh, I've heard everything in this movie before. Very unpleasant experience. Uh, <laughs> I never want to watch a Dinesh, another Dinesh D'Souza movie ever again.
1: Yeah, folks, this was a punishing one. Will and I do suffer for our art. We, uh, you know, we we swim through a lot of vomit for you guys. So. Uh, If you're not on the Patreon yet, (laughs) (laughs) the least you can do, (laughs) and want to thank us, uh, uh, we have been putting some bonus content on there during coronavirus. Check it out. I did have one final comment on the film which is that I think in the dumbest way imaginable it is emblematic of something very real that spans uh, the political spectrum in the United States at least the you know the traditional spectrum running from conservatives to liberals and that is in its portrayal of what might be called American exceptionalism which is something that I suppose could be argued is intrinsic to every form of nationalism, right? I mean, what is nationalism if it's not? There is something distinct about the place that I was born in, uh, the society that I affiliate myself with or have citizenship in, whatever. But empires have their own version of it. And I don't think nationalism quite captures it. Exceptionalism is something else. And the United States has this, I think, arguably more than any other human society in our history by virtue of being you know the largest and most successful empire i mean you know ever i mean the largest and, and most powerful imperial force uh, in human history i mean the british empire is perhaps a close second but the american cultural imaginary is riddled with this idea of american exceptionalism that i think is uh, i i think anyway is pretty unprecedented And even though it feels a little uh, discordant to read from Perry Anderson after discussing a Dinesh D'Souza film, he has a really good book on uh, American foreign policy. And I wanted to read a passage that I think puts American exceptionalism uh, in context. American exceptionalism is very much what this film is partaking in. And what I think, in spite of Dinesh D'Souza, not because of him, gives it its rhetorical force and is the reason why anybody, you know, might watch this and kind of uh, nod along, even though it's almost too dumb for words. So Perry Anderson here gives us just a little canned history of American exceptionalism. And I just want to read a bit from the book. The U.S. imperium that came into being after 1945 had a long prehistory. In North America, uniquely, the originating coordinates of empire were coeval with the nation. These lay in the combination of a settler economy, free of any of the feudal residues or impediments of the Old World, and a continental territory protected by two oceans, producing the purest form of nascent capitalism in the largest nation-state anywhere on Earth. That remained the enduring material matrix of the country's ascent in the century after independence, To the objective privileges of an economy and geography without parallel were added two important subjective legacies of culture and politics. The idea, derived from initial Puritan settlement, of a nation enjoying divine favor imbued with a sacred calling, and a belief, derived from the War of Independence, that a republic endowed with a constitution of liberty for all times had arisen in the New World. Out of these four ingredients emerged very early the ideological repertoire of an American nationalism that afforded seamless passage to an American imperialism, characterized by a complexio oppositorum of exceptionalism and universalism. The United States was unique among nations, yet at the same time a lodestar for the world, an order at once historically unexampled and ultimately a compelling example for all. That passage is so eloquent and... I think if you haven't read the book, should resonate in all kinds of places because those ideas are so intrinsic to American life even today among both liberals and conservatives, I think. Was it not on election night in 2008 that Barack Obama referred to the United States as the indispensable nation? This idea that the United States is at once an exceptional country that represents a unique development in human history, but then also, for that very reason, a model for the entire world, that is about as good a justification for empire as any society can possibly devise for itself. And I think you see it in all kinds of things, from the kind of highest-brow, you know, intelligentsia of, you know, the US foreign policy establishment, uh, to Dinesh D'Souza films with uh, with stupid historical reenactments in them. So this episode is exceptional uh, in itself, and it is, I think, the last time we will ever discuss a Dinesh D'Souza film on oh, the wow. podcast Michael and Us. I just want to say that on the record right now um, <laughs> in the hopes that, that me saying it with such conviction... We'll make it so. So I wanna say on behalf of Will and myself, a fond Michael and Us farewell to one of the lodestars in our world, filmmaker, public intellectual, the man, the legend, Dinesh D'Souza. Play us off, Will.